Let's go. Well, good morning, everybody. What? Good morning, everybody. Wake up, guys. Come on. Huh? It is good to see everyone here this morning. Um, feel like I've been gone for a long time, but with that fifth Sunday last month, it just kind of throws things off a little bit, but it's um, it's good to be here this morning in the house of the Lord with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Family, we are, and uh, it's good to come and worship our Lord together. Uh, before we get started, and we're going to be looking at uh, Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 through 8 this morning, uh, let's go to God in prayer and ask His blessings. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for uh, being able to come today on such a beautiful morning to come and worship you, the true and the living God. Our Father, as Brett just said, thank you for all that you have done for us, all that you are doing for us, and all that you will do for us in the days ahead. But right now, Lord, we just ask if you would, would you bless these words that are about to be spoken? This is a difficult book. These are difficult words. Not in the sense of, of how we must live, and yet at the same time, Lord, these are words of caution to us that we might go out and bring the good news to the lost, that they too will hear these words of caution. So bless us, we ask you, and uh, Holy Spirit, be with us now through these words, and just guide us all, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you would stand with me, we're going to be reading chapter uh, Revelation 6, verses 5 through 8 this morning. Hear now the word of our Lord. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse... And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed after him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Grass withers, the flowers fade away, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Last week... Kirk got into chapter 6, the first four verses, and uh, he talked about the first two seals and the first two horses with their respective riders upon them. Today we're going to set the scene for the next two seals and horses with their riders. More specifically, as we just read, we're going to look at the third seal being opened and the black horse with a rider that had a pair of scales in his hand. Then... The fourth seal, as it is opened, showing us a pale horse with a rider who is given a name. That name, of course, that is given to him is death. So let's go a little bit deeper into these two horses and riders. 
But first, before we do, I want to stop here just a second and tell you all this. The words of Revelation, as well as the symbols, are open to interpretation. I think that's been said before and will continue to be said week after week. The most intelligent writers, theologians, thinkers of all varieties of sciences, many have had ideas concerning this book. And as we've said previously, the, the four of us, having varied degrees of what we believe these symbols and all believe what they could represent. There's no class in seminary that gives me an inside track to knowing more than anyone else in this room. I just was thinking about this as I wrote this just a few weeks ago, and we had uh, classes on, on Hebrew and the book of John and, and all of these other types of things from the New Testament especially. Kim, you may have run into the same thing. I don't think I ever ran into a class that was going to be given concerning the book of Revelation. I don't think it happened that way. I, I think there are too many people that just, there's too many possibilities of the way of looking at this. Anyway, with my limited knowledge of what Revelation could mean, does mean, or what it will mean in the future is relatively limited. So limited, in fact, I may know less than Kirk, Brett, Fred, or Kim, or honestly anybody else in this room, or anyone else who might be watching this sermon now or in the days ahead. The study for me, of this book at least, is designed in such a way that we can only pick up certain things. Those things are as follows. Number one, the book of Revelation is beyond our scope of thought by design. We aren't supposed to figure it all out. Nor are we able to grasp many of the descriptions that are given within this book. They fit within the context of what our finite minds can deal with. That's not to say that those things are not debatable. They are. If you were in some of our session meetings, you would, you would hear those de debates and all. And they're, they're quite interesting. But as we were talking just before church this morning, to me, I think what this does, a, a study like this, what this does, is it allows us to be able to, to come together with our thoughts, be able to share those thoughts, but be able to increase our knowledge. Now, are we ever going to be able to, to get to the point where we get a graduating degree from the book of Revelation? No! I mean, that, that would be foolish to even think something like that. But what we can do is sit down together and we can learn from each other more about possibly what this book means, but still come to the understanding that it is beyond our finite minds to totally get it. We just don't know enough. Number two, we do not, nor will we, by the end of this study, be able to figure out when the end of days is going to occur. Contrary to what some may have said a few weeks ago, that it was going to happen at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I just, just throwing it out there. You know, somebody, I don't know who. And number three, while we may not know when, Suffice it to say, it is coming, and we sure better be ready. I do believe you may hear those two or three items spoken often as we go through this study. To the point that they may, uh, may be some of the more important words that you'll receive in all of this study of, of the Revelation. Those are my thoughts, so let's move on. 
We mentioned that we're going to look at the black horse and its rider and the pale horse and its rider. Let's look deeper on those two. As we said, the black horse's rider has scales in his hands, or scale in his hand, on his hand, in his hand. Not, not on his hands now, but in his hands. We'll look at those scales and what they mean in just a minute. On top of the scales, there was a voice coming from somewhere that couldn't be quite pinpointed saying a quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Now the fourth seal. A voice came from that seal that said, Come, and the rider on the pale horse came forward. This rider had a name. His name was Death. Here is where behind Death came Hades. The rider was given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword or famine or pestilence, even wild beasts. Sound like a lot of fun, doesn't it? Sound like something I'd be signing up for, right? Sure. We pretty well simplified our reading this morning as I try to do, and then try to explain it in language that we can all grasp. And while this seems a rather laborious way of doing it, we have to remember not all of us are, are going to be on the same scale of understanding of what this book's going to throw at us. Some may be hearing it for the very first time. Others may be experiencing this book again for the, 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 the umpteenth time. I don't know. But suffice it to say, we want to try to keep this as on an equal level as we all possibly can be. I'd rather err on the side of caution here and not assume we all know the same amount. Remember now, this book is one many ignored purposely. Some of the greatest theologians never wrote commentaries on it because of the vast array of possible answers that could be found in it. I'm not saying some are right and some are wrong. Again, I think this is part of what makes this book so attractive, at least to me, to study. Suppositions abound. The world's going to be at war. We know that. The Red Rider, as I understand it, was to remove peace from the world. The third rider of the black horse represents mourning and is one that symbolizes world hunger. The scales, as I find it and grasp it, though some may think that this might represent injustice in the world, I think it concerns food that will be rationed. It will be a, a time, most certainly, for, for an absence of plentiful amount of food. Trade lanes will diminish. Sources for food will dry up. Now, historically, if you think about it, go back to World War I just a second. We were encouraged to produce victory gardens. In a 1919 pamphlet, War Gardening, the Home Storage of Vegetables, the War Gardens of America produced food, which helped establish the balance of power between starvation and abundance in Europe during the final two years of the war. This tells us that with global conflict, Creating avenues for food sourcing will be important. It's a natural phenomenon. World War II, victory gardens were, were encouraged to help prevent food rationing. Again, for the same reason. Now, at this time, we see where inflation really begins to kick in. As verse 6 says, a quart of wheat for a denarius. Three quarts of barley for a denarius. A denarius at that time represented a day's pay. Now basically, in language that we could understand, 
Looking at it today, if this same thing took place, a loaf of bread would cost you a day's wages. Think about that. Yet if you look further, at the end of verse 6, it says, do not harm the oil or the wine. All right, this might be a little bit trickier. What's oil used for today? Now, not motor oil, okay? That's a different oil, all right? We're looking at olive oil and now other kinds of oils to be used that make beauty products as well as the same kind of oils that we use to help cook our food. Some uh, olive oil today can be incredibly expensive. Expensive enough that only those whose food budget has no limits can be purchased. Wine, we know, can be ridiculously expensive. And some, not so much. Looking at what wheat and barley are going to cost, we can kind of surmise oil and wine prices are not going to go down, contrary to a lot of people's beliefs. My commentaries state that these things will be for only the rich to be able to purchase. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I don't totally agree with that. And this is one of those things to where we all have our opinions, I suppose. I believe some wines will become even cheaper for people to purchase simply to give the average man a way of forgetting being hungry. Or, as is happening with a lot of things that are taking place today, I believe these things are being given to us at virtually no cost at all to dumb us down. To keep us from, from being connected with what's going on in the world today. Now, that's totally my opinion here, okay? Let's just say that food in general is going to be more expensive. One item not to be, uh, that wasn't mentioned here is meat. Speculation there would state that meat would be a luxury item that very few would be able to afford. I mean, just look at meat now. It, it ain't cheap now. Now let's stop here for just a second. We've heard enough bad news to last the morning, have we not? Sorry, there's still more coming. We... We see food prices going up today, and, and we're not even at war necessarily with anyone, are we? Yeah, there's a threat of war. There's rumors of war we see in the Scriptures. Divisions of all kinds within our country are being created potentially to, for civil wars to take place on all variety of levels throughout this country, even today. We look at all of this and we think, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And we'd be right in doing so. We realize we just cannot do enough to take care of our families adequately. The world is growing at an alarming rate in terms of population. You see extraordinary uh, sources of food being researched. Living without meat. <laughs> That's not fun. Living on, veg on vegetables alone. Another one. I don't want to... Maybe 20 years down the road, if I live to be 90, y'all worry about it then, but let me have my hamburgers, please. However, we have one source to take care of us, and I want you to remember this one. That's Jesus. The Reverend Thomas Malthus made this statement. Listen closely. The power of population is infinitely greater than the power of the earth to produce subsistence for man. Sounds rather like today, doesn't it? 
Malthus wrote that in 1798. It all sounds so pessimistic, doesn't it? Is the, it's the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. There's only one answer, though, for us to whatever lays ahead, lays ahead for us, whether these riders have come down before, whether they come down today, or whether they come down in the future. There is only one answer. Always has been. That's Jesus. Let's look at the fourth rider for a minute. The pale rider who was death and Hades follows. Now, looking at the Greek word for the word pale, you'll find the word chloros. C-H-L-O-R-O-S. Yes, we get chlorine from that word. Have you ever seen a picture of chlorine gas? Anybody? I say a picture because if you see chlorine gas, chances are you're going to die right then. Yeah, the pictures of Pope Paul India. Of, of, Pope Paul India. Oh, oh, there you go. If, if this, this, this is an extremely deadly gas. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't see it. And that's another thing, too. It's almost invisible. It does have one characteristic, though. It's, uh, the color is an interesting part here. It's not quite pale. It has a greenish-yellow look to it. Okay, Such must be the look of the pale horse, I would think. One commentator I read said that war follows ungodly rulers. Listen to this closely. War follows ungodly rulers. Famine follows war. And death follows famine. It's a pattern that has unfortunately been around really almost since man's time here on earth. And sadly, as long as man is here, as long as Satan rules over the lives of a vast number of people who live all over the world, you see, this is not a, a property of the United States, nor of Russia, nor any other nation or nations of the world. I think we can all agree that sin is in, in the world entirely. It is everywhere. Evil is everywhere. And as long as that is fact, death will inhabit this earth. Now, as I see it, after the other three horsemen, death will ensue. So a brief review here. In the four descriptions of horses and their riders... We have gone from supposed conquerors to taking away peace to creating famine to utter destruction of lives. And I think Kirk even said last week that the very first one could very well have been the Antichrist. And if you look at how these four horsemen go, it makes sense. The last horseman, death with Hades following, the way I read this, has been given authority to destroy one-fourth of the world. Though all hell is breaking loose, no one thing. God is in control. You want proof? Look at one prophecy. Parts of Ezekiel 14, 21 and 22. For thus says the Lord God, How much more when I send upon Jerusalem my four disastrous acts of judgment, sword, famine, wild beasts, and pestilence. Hmm, we've heard those before. Go further in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 14, 12. Jeremiah 44, 13, and back to Ezekiel again, chapter 6, verse 11. 
God says the same thing will occur when, whether it be lying prophets, those of the tribe of Judah who turn from God's will to live in Egypt, and then in Ezekiel 6.11, where the abominations of the house of Israel would be punished by God in the same manner, through sword, famine, and pestilence. Look at Matthew 24, 5-14 as well as a parallel. Much of what Jesus says are the same words we are seeing from times before. In other words, whether this be a direct prophecy of the end of days or whether this prophecy was meant for Jerusalem in that day and time, God's method of destruction had a pattern to it. But behold, some survivors will be left in it sons and daughters who will be brought out. Ezekiel 14, 22. But as we've said before, there's only one that we can run to no matter how we may see it all unfold. Only one who sees all of this destruction for what it is. God's truth. There's only one way that they have that we have to survive. And that's through Jesus Christ. If you read Jesus' words concerning the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24, 15 and on, look at Jesus' words in verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now and no, will never be again. Serious stuff here, isn't it? For the world without Christ, this should be terrifying. We said very little regarding Hades, but if you look at Luke 16, 23, if I read this correctly, Hades is where lost souls will be sent until the final judgment. Now, I understand this. As Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 tells us that it is appointed for all men to die once and then the judgment. I think we all pretty much agree with that statement. But look at verse 28. So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for Him. Now, I'm not going to get into the millennial views here as to when all of this takes place. In my mind, we don't need to go there right now, okay? And yet, with all of this terror that we have seen in the writers, it's liable to make anyone alive today a bit apprehensive. For the lost, it should. What Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 tells us, all of these things that by all accounts should be very scary, we as Christians should read them and be afraid for one reason only. The lost will be experiencing these things. If for no other reason than that, it should make us want to reach out to the world and bring the lost to Christ so that they can avoid this destruction. Go back to what we mentioned a little earlier. Who was going to bring those things on to the transgressors? It was God. When the time came to punish those who were sinning, it was God who would unleash those powers. Now, will we experience any of those things? We've experienced a lot of the descriptions of war and famine and trials over a long period of time. If you look back to the time of the advent of Christ, those who believed in Yahweh oftentimes suffered for their faith in Him. We can be persecuted for our faith 
in Christ. We get threats year in and year out concerning what the government would threaten to do to those who worship uh, Jesus or who worship together and don't want to officiate over certain aspects of life that we are faced with now. There's been talk over the years about closing churches down entirely, taking away their the 501c3 rights of churches, basically taking away their tax-exempt status. But this is mild in comparison to those who are physically and spiritually persecuted. And it happens all over the world. We see and we hear of missionaries losing their lives because they're caught preaching Jesus in a place where it was to be forbidden. Can you imagine that? I mean, think about that for just a second. Think about if it was you. You know, think about if you're at home one day. I had this fear when I was a kid that the military would come to every house. Are you a Christian? And I'd have to answer. How would I do that? Would I answer yes, knowing that they were going to take me out and I was going to be killed? Or would it be no, so I could continue to live? I mean, it's a thought that terrified me as a child. And it terrifies me today. But not for myself. It terrifies me for the family around me who do not accept Christ as Savior. It terrifies me for the neighbors who do not believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. It terrifies me for the world that is becoming larger and larger by the day that are denouncing Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Yeah, that's, that's terrifying. That is terrifying. Especially if you look at the book of Revelation and know these things will take place. Many will know trials and tribulations far greater than we will ever know, though. It's hard to stop right here and not continue into what lays ahead for us in the chapter, verses and chapters ahead. But it simply helps us to unravel more of what the future could hold for us, or for some of us at least. As I said earlier in closing, I'm really the last person you need to hear a lot of this from the book of Revelation. My views may be nowhere near what some of the other you all may believe uh, or hear in the days and weeks ahead. But I'm going to tell it as I see it along with help from the commentators that I trust. But as I promised in the earlier part of the sermon, and I'll continue to state this week after week, we know two things. We don't know when Christ will return, but we sure better be ready when He does. And please, understand, that's not a threat. It's a statement that you need to look deeply within yourself and come to your own conclusions. So in closing this morning, I ask you, are you ready? More importantly, as followers of Jesus Christ, that I believe every one of us in this room are, are we ready to go out and have compassion on a lost and dying world? For we can look at this study as believers in Jesus and know this book means business, whether we totally understand it or not. As John the Baptist shouted, as Jesus preached, as so many others over the years have come from pulpits, 
have come from fields and standing on, on rocks and things like that. But they beg and they plead to whoever is listening to them at that particular time before it was too late for them. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, harsh lesson, and yet at the same time, uh, our challenge has been laid before us. And so would you help us? Would you strengthen us? Would you guide us into to going out and reaching the lost? It's, it's a, a terrible task, and yet at the same time, Lord, we look out into the world and, and we think Satan's winning, and yet... We know you are in control of all things. And yet at the same time, I think that you wait and you wait because there are those of yours who have not come to you yet. And so we labor on. But help us in those labors. We ask it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, look with me if you will. Our catechism question today is question number 19. Question is, is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor? What's the answer? Yes, to satisfy His justice. God Himself, out of mere mercy, reconciles us to Himself and delivers us from sin and from the punishment for sin by a Redeemer. Amen to that. We now have the opportunity to come and worship our Lord in a little different way. And that's through partaking of the Lord's Supper.